Hey, this is Mike Goldberg, the voice of Bellator MMA. Join us right now for MMA FanCast. Welcome back. What's up? What's up? What's up? Just as you heard, we are MMA FanCast. My name is Jim Mooney, and I am joined by phone uh, by my podcast partner, Luke Payson. This episode is going to be a recap of UFC 238. We had some um, some crazy endings, and uh, if you all got to watch it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The, uh, the top three fights definitely ended with um, a couple uh, shocking endings. And we're going to cover that. There's one other fight that, uh, that happened um, on the card that we're uh, briefly going to talk about and reference uh, one of the women um, that fought a while ago and how I think her style is similar um, to this uh, MMA legend and what I feel like she needs to do in order to avoid um, some problems um, that her uh, predecessor encountered. So um, we had uh, UFC 238. Um, the top three fights were Cerrone and Ferguson. We had um, Valentina Shevchenko taking on Jessica I. And then the main event was Henry Cejudo and Marlon Moraes. And... I'm going to go to Luke now. Luke is on the phone. And just in general, Luke, how did you think that night played out for UFC 238? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at UFC 238 with, with the double booking of two championship fights, one being a championship fight that was being defended and one that was for the uh, vacant bantamweight, and then you throw in what some people were calling the people's main event. Uh, I think Ariel Hawani was credited for coming up with that. The people's main event being Donald Calvary Cerrone and El Kukui. I think if you just look at it, it was exactly what you'd expect from those three fights. A great card. But the top three fights all ended in finishes, which in many, many ways is what fans want to see because then you're not left with decisions, which sometimes can be uh, frustrating. Famous decisions would be GSP beating Johnny Hendricks uh, to a decision that a lot of people felt was not correct. I actually liked that decision. I was okay with that decision. I thought GSP did enough. I, I believe in the mindset that in order to be the champion, you've got to beat the champion. I think that a champion has less work to do to defend than a, than a, than a, uh, than somebody coming in to try to take it than a challenger. But that, but that did not happen. And I think it's very, it's very clean. All three fights I thought ended in very clean ways. Obviously, the Cerrone fight probably being the one we'll talk about the most. Jim, do you want us to get to our predictions and what happened? Do you want to talk about that, or did you want to go in the direction of the, the undercard that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, let's go with the uh, with the predictions, what uh, 
okay. what you talked about um, with the outcome. Well, okay, so we'll start off with the outcome, and then we'll go what our predictions were, if that's okay. The outcome of, of the people's main event uh, was a little unique. Uh, Donald Cavazzoni ended up losing by TKO, which was more or less, I think, officially a doctor's stoppage at the end of round two, actually more at the beginning of round three because the time had expired between round two and round three. And he had gotten really busted up in his nose by a lot of jabs and some hooks in the second round. And when he went into the corner, he ended up blowing his nose, which is a known thing not to do. And, and, and Cowboy afterwards fessed up and said that he was too you know, it's too much of a veteran to make a rookie mistake, but it's one that with the with the stress and the pressure of wanting to get back out there, fighters don't think. But basically, when you have a badly broken nose um, and you blow it to try to clear the fluid and the blood that's running down and, and, and bleeding, when you try to blow it to clear it out, it ends up backing up into your sinuses. And man, did his right eye just swell completely shut. And so... Uh, that ended up being a, a doctor stoppage. If you do watch the video, it's kind of gross. When when his eyes completely swollen shut, and everybody is aware that it's going to be stopped, and they bring the doctor in to look, and, and you could tell they didn't even hold up fingers. I mean, there was just no way anybody could see out of that eye. I mean, there wasn't even an eye. It was completely swollen. You could see Donald pushing on it, and blood was coming out of it. And they said later one of his um, teammates was saying that he was actually in his attempt to fight, because Cowboy wants to fight regardless, he was trying to, like, basically pop the blood that was backing up into his eye out so he could still fight. So I'm, I'd say Cowboy um, ended with his head high. A little embarrassing, maybe, then as a, as a TKO. I think he would rather keep fighting and have just gotten completely knocked out. But I think for his own safety, that was the right decision. The only real controversy to me, away which, you know, unsportsmanlike, I guess, more than controversy was. El Capilli did definitely punch him very substantially, not only after the bell, but it wasn't like a, a glancing blow. It was a blow that definitely had some contact to it. They reviewed it and determined that it did not cause the fight-ending injury, and that's probably the right decision because uh, Cowboy's nose was already broken up. But technically, their rationale, I don't know, Jim, if you heard the rationale, at least that Joe Rogan said was, he said, oh, the reason why um, it's not ending by DQ is because El Kukui Tony landed on the nose, and it was the eye. But it wasn't the eye from getting punched. It was the eye from getting backed up from the nose. So if you're a, if you're a wordsmith like me, I would say that in some ways that extra punch landing on the nose, I could have argued that that was what he was trying to clear by blowing, but I think it was the right decision not to make it a DQ. It keeps Tony's um, streak alive, and just to be fair, Donald's nose was already completely smashed and bleeding, and one extra punch. I think it would have been different if his nose was completely fine, if the bell ended and he had relaxed and then got popped and it broke. I think that would have been a different situation. But overall, it was exactly what, what I think fans thought it would be. It was a great fight. Pretty much nothing on the ground, all stand-up. Very, very exciting. Little bit of takedowns from Tony, uh, from uh, Cowboy to Tony that was surprising because Cowboy has an underrated takedown, defense, offense, and submission. So I think he actually looked really good. Tony looked incredible. Um, I think we can both agree maybe that it's just a shame that Tony 
isn't actually the champ. I mean, he had won the interim and then he got hurt. It's just, it's a weird thing. He has a 12 fight win streak and he's not the champ. But anyhow, getting to our predictions. My prediction was on this fight was that and you wrote them down so you can double check. But I believe I predicted correctly Tony Ferguson stopping with strikes Donald. I believe that was my prediction. And so I was right about who won, and I believe I would also say I was right about the method. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, you picked um, you picked Ferguson with a stoppage in the second round. Um, had made a comment that uh, that you like both fighters and yep. wish success for both of them, and you would not have been disappointed if uh, Cowboy right. had won that fight. So uh, yeah, and I was yeah. on the opposite end of that. I I had taken. Cerrone with, um, with the decision. Yeah. Initially, I had yeah. mistakenly identified that as a five-round fight. Right. Um, and I, I think I, I said stoppage, like, um, in the fourth round. But fourth, yeah, fourth, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you had corrected me, um, and yeah. I took Cerrone with, with the decision win. So, um, yeah, I, I'm so glad you pointed out what you did about the doctor stoppage and how it actually all played out and correctly pointed out, at least in my opinion, that the, the punch after the bell had sounded yeah. was square on the nose, which all the damage that Cerrone had taken up to that point probably was, was enough to cause Cerrone to yeah. do the same actions in between rounds and waiting um, for the start of that, uh, that you know, the start of that round again, or to continue, I should say. Um, but that uh, that last punch, we, there's an angle that shows Ferguson's reaction. You can see his face, and afterwards, if you can read his lips, you can see him saying, "I'm sorry, my bad," something like that, where he acknowledged. Yeah. He didn't mean to do that. Now, I, I can totally see how that would happen. It's, you know, heat of the moment type thing. Both fighters are within reach of each other, and it's it's just reactionary. Definitely not intentional. Right, and I think something that, and, you know, Dana can flip-flop depending on the ref, depending on the fight. But Dana's point of view, which I kind of agree, is that Dan Mergliata should have gotten between them. And, in fact, Knowing that, knowing that Dana said that, I rewatched the end of the first round and the end of the first round because Dan Murgrown is a big guy, a medical person, he's a big guy, um, and pretty wide, you know, pretty thick, muscular, and he actually stepped between them with kind of like half of his body in the end of the first round. And I would have to say that had he done that at the end of the second round, I cannot imagine that Tony would have punched around him to get the Donald because it, it's more of a visual representation of, oh, the fight's over. So I do think, although Dan Murgrown is a great rap, I don't want to put it all on him. I, I, at the end of the day, it is Tony's responsibility to hear the horn. But what sometimes happens with fighters who are not trying to be cheap is they hear the horn, but instead of processing it, what they see is they see their opponent drop their guard, and that's kind of what you saw happen. Their guard was up. They were exchanging back and forth. The bell sounded. Or the gong sounded. Uh, Donald kind of drops his guard because the fight's over, and and then Tony hits him, which looks terrible, but I think it's more of Tony's brain because they do a lot of muscle memory, and I think Tony's brain kind of saw, oh, opponent's face open, right? Like it just registered. Oh, he's 
she's open, I'm going to, it was just like an instinct. But um, I would say that there's always a chance had, had, had he not blown his nose and Donald had come back out, you don't know whether or not he could have gotten that decision. He had pretty badly lost the second round, but the first round was up for grabs. So I do think there was a chance he would have gotten a decision. And with, with Cowboy throwing those head kicks, you never know whether or not Cowboy would have hit, would have, Something that happened in the first round that is surprising, but Tony does it, is Tony tends to pull his head straight back on the line. He's just so gosh darn, darn unorthodox that people don't really hit him. Occasionally he gets hit, uh, and he famously got hit a couple times and swapped around and rolled and done some maneuvers. But I do think that there's always a chance with Cowboy with the head kick that he might have, had he been able to go back out the third round, his best bet would have been to try to get a head kick and, and see if he could have finished Tony. But I think overall it was a fine fight. It got to fight a night as it should have. It's a great fight. Ten great minutes. And I think it's exactly what people expected. It. I'm still kind of disappointed the fight ever happened because I love Cowboy. I kind of thought he was going to lose. He did lose. Fortunately, he didn't get completely knocked out. I think he'll recover fairly quickly. And I also think it's not fair to Ferguson. He's now won 12 in a row. And Dana afterwards still won't commit him being the next in line, and, and I'm just going to say it because I can always apologize to Dana later if I ever meet him, but Dana, Dana's got to be protecting somebody, and we know who he's protecting, and I would say he's probably protecting Connor more than he is Habib, but he, he's protecting one or both of them because there's, there's at this point, I, I cannot believe there's any reason to not have Tony Ferguson fight for the title, but we can talk about this too long. Can you quickly review the second fight, which is the first title fight what happened and then we'll and then i'll go into what our predictions were okay so that fight was valentina shevchenko and jessica i and i believe that both of us um had yeah. come up with the same prediction uh, but that fight ended in the second round it was uh 26 seconds into the second round and it was a ko by head kick and yeah. i watched that several times Watch that kick by uh, Shevchenko on Jessica I. And I don't know if uh, – I'm assuming that there's some sort of delay. I don't have this insider knowledge. I've never been knocked out. I, I've never talked to a fighter to get that information, you know, somebody who has um, sustained that type of uh, loss or, or been in that situation. But it looked as though as she was going down, like her left arm – was almost like she was sort of glancing to uh, to her left. You know, her eyes moved left, and it was like she was wobbling at that time. She was going straight back, and I, I feel like the head slamming back is ultimately what um, what did the most damage. It, it was a brutal kick, uh, one that I don't believe, no matter what, Jessica I was not going to recover from. And, and we right. had called that. Shevchenko was just going to be too much for Jessica I to handle. And that yep. it was very evident in the first round. You could see that she was outclassed. And this is not taking anything away from Jessica I. This is just speaking about Valentina Shevchenko and her, uh, her skill level, where she is at right now. And this, to me, would be reminiscent of Ronda Rousey when, yeah. um, when she was running through her division uh, – you know, just a few years ago. And that is where Shev I believe Shevchenko is uh, for the women's flyweight division. So we had uh, we had 
predicted, I believe, both of us. Actually, I think you called first-round stoppage, and I think that I right. called uh, maybe uh, third or fourth-round stoppage. So we were very close. Obviously, we were practically on it. I had also predicted this as the lock, and I had mentioned that for those that are into wagering, that I would have highly recommended the proposition or what some people would call the prop wager where you pick the bullet to win by, by stoppage. And obviously that's what happened. You can't always predict that, but I do think there was a mismatch. Or we had talked about it in the pre-analysis that you never know because there's been some surprises. But uh, Evil Eye, Jessica, was on a three-fight win streak, but two of them were by split decision. And I, I think you are correct to say that as of right now, the 125 women's division is kind of like the Ronda Rousey division, the 135 was three or four years ago. Not to say Ronda wasn't flatlining people, she was, but it has gotten so much deeper. I mean, it just, it has gone, it is so deep that Misha Tate and Holly Holm aren't anywhere to be, they're not significant, right? Holly Holm, I think, is still technically fighting. I don't know if she retired, Misha Tate retired. But when you think about it, the very people that kind of ended or was at a big part in Ronda Rousey's career aren't even considered significant in 135, and that's just how deep 135 has become. So I think the thing with the bullet that is probably going to be different, and I would predict this, is I think the bullet, or, or Amanda Nunez, because she's a monster too, I think one of the, we'll say it like this, I think one of the two current 125 or 135 or 145 champs will set and break the record of Ronda Rousey because both, one of that, both Amanda Nunez looks ridiculous, but I think she will lose before the bullet only because the bullet is in a newer division with less with less depth. And I, and I would say I, I could definitely see the bullet. This was her first defense. I could see the bullet cranking out the six or seven wins. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, it'll also be interesting to see who they follow up with because you never know. The next title defense could be completely the, the reverse could be said. But it'll be interesting to see if anybody uh, is competitive. And I will probably keep keep the bullet as my lock in her next fight because obviously that, that panned out really well this fight. Well, the main event, the main event was very exciting. The main event was um, the messenger, Henry Sahuda versus and I always have a difficulty saying his name, but Marlon Marez, I believe, or something like that. Um, you and I were both incorrect. We had moments where it looked like we might have been correct, um, but we had both picked, I believe, um, I know I had picked uh, Marez by stoppage, thinking 25 minutes, This is a, he's a striking monster. And the interesting thing is that in the preview, I had mentioned that Henry's coaches, and some of this I thought was hype, and it is, but Henry's coaches continued to say that he is picking up boxing more and more. And you pointed out geniusly that he used to be a very reactionary fighter because he was a gold medal gold medal champion, and, and he would wait for people and would kind of scuttle around on the outside and clearly changed it up. He knocked out P.J. Dillashaw, which you could kind of write off a little bit, Jim, because T.J. had a bad weight cut. TJ had never been down to 125, at least not in recent years. And, and a weight cut can really do bad stuff for the brain. But I would say, obviously, it was probably a little bit more special to knock out TJ because TJ was trying to become a champ champ. 
However, I think knocking out Marlon Morales is a better knockout because that's a guy that fights at 35, that is a monster at 35, and that is a striker at 35. So I actually think that Henry, as much as I don't love all his shenanigans, and, and he's clearly really hamming it up. He's found what works for him. Who cares about 125, 135-pound fighters? Think about all the years that DJ ruled that weight class at 25, and the UFC was begging and begging and begging him to become basically a jerk and talk trash. And guess what? That's what Henry's doing. It's all an act. Did you see the weigh-in where he came out as a king with a crown and all this stuff? And like the scepter, I don't know if you saw that. I did, and I'm but, not a fan of that stuff. Yeah, I, no, I see the theatrics no. in it, but yeah, uh, I mean that's just. But people me. are and, talking, but people are talking about 125 and 135, and they really weren't. The last time they were talking about 35 was Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw because they hated each other. And as much as you and I are purists, and we are, and we do not think that there should have to be bad blood. I always loved GSP being very professional. I always loved DJ. Um, Mighty Mouse being incredibly professional, and even these two guys, Ferguson and Donald, even though everybody knew it was going to be a ridiculous fight, they respect each other the whole time. Donald, in the weigh-in, in the weigh-in actually said, champ, you know, it's an honor, have a great fight, whatever. They told each other, have a good weight cut. They actually ended up cutting weight in the same sauna, and I'm not going to say that they took it easy on each other, because they clearly didn't, but I, I was refreshed by Ferguson and Cowboy, who are monsters, who demolish and rain blood and spray blood and are very, very aggressive and violent, they did show that 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 fight had a lot of hype. That fight was incredible. And there was no smack talking, no bad talking afterwards, no bad talking before. And I think in a perfect world, that's what I would want every fight to be. You you, You are trying to show that you're the best. You have respect. You do it. But I do think that Cejuda is showing, particularly at that weight class, that people are going to watch to hate him. Uh, and this is odd to say, but when Brock Lesnar was champ, there were people that loved watching him because they were WWE fans, but there were so many MMA fans that hated Brock Lesnar because of all his dumb antics. And he beat, he beat Frank Mir and then said some vulgar stuff and insulted the crowd. And you probably remember that. The the interesting thing was that he got so many buys and because people hated him. They're like, I want that idiot to lose and go back to WWE. And in a way, I think Henry is making a smart decision, even though we don't like it, in basically being a guy that people are going to want to see lose, but that means that they're watching him. So that's my take on it. It's interesting that you uh, that you mentioned Brock because after the fight, he said that this is uh, talking about Cejudo. He said that he wants heavyweight money now, and he did use that word. Yes. Yeah. So I, I think there's something to it. There, you know, there's he's got to have somebody on his management team that has told him, you got to sell. You got to sell yourself, whether you want to uh, portray the uh, the bad guy, or uh, or. You know, get in the trash talking or, or something that will be controversial. You've got to put yourself out there and change yeah. your image a little bit in order to start selling yourself. And, and uh, in turn, it's going to, to bring him bigger paydays in the future. So yeah, there, there is that side of the sport 
that is not going to go away no matter how much we dislike it. It's always going to be there. Right. So yeah. it's just, you know, we're just ha- going to have to deal with it. And um, Well, you know, as a fan, as a fan and a commentator now and somebody that talks about it, I can see the value because DJ Mighty Mouse is was so good, was so good. I mean, though probably the greatest ever, although I like GSP slightly more. Some people might make John Jones, but I think he's top three or top four. I mean, so, so good. And yet, it was obvious that the UFC knew, the fans knew, Dana knew, that it was almost so humdrum. It was almost like, oh, DJ, they had him fighting on Fox. It was very clear that he wasn't pulling in numbers. And they did beg him to, to trash talk. And I think that, in a way, Conor McGregor, I don't want to give all of your credit to Conor McGregor or the blame, but Conor McGregor made 145, which had never, it was a fairly new, right? When I started watching, 155 was the, the light, the, the lightest that BJ Ben was the champ. 145 had come over from WEC. Aldo was the WEC champ, and he was so good. But it's not like Aldo had an insane following in Brazil, but it wasn't like he was a huge, huge, huge draw. Connor, as this skinny, sucked down, very unhealthy looking uh, Irish man, started talking all this trash, and it ignited, and you'll see even some documentaries, it ignited people's interest in a weight class that otherwise. They didn't really care about. Did people care when Kenny Florian was fighting for the belt at 145? No. Like, not that people that us, we cared, but, like, it didn't create waves. And so as much as you and I are not going to like it, I would actually say this is the one thing I will give Henry Suda credit for. If, if he goes back down and fights 125, I won't complain. Because my concern, and I wanted Morales to win, my concern is that if he wins, What's the motivation to go back down to 125? It's a weight cut. He had weight cut issues early in his career when he was still learning and still coming up. He missed 125 several times. It actually delayed him getting a title fight a little bit in the UFC. Um, and so I don't, I just don't want to see 125 get folded. That's why I love Demetrius Mighty Mouse because he made it clear that he wanted to stay at 25. He wasn't going to come up 35. So I'd like to see a 25 pound division continuing and I and I will stop complaining about Henry Suda and, and his ridiculous trash talking because if he goes back down to twenty five, he has a chance, Jim, of making twenty five interesting in a division that has never really been a draw. So I'll let him do his ridiculous stuff and pageantry and cringe worthy comments and ridiculous stuff if it makes 25 a bigger draw at the end of the day it's better for the sport it's better for the UFC even though you and I are not going to like it Jim why don't you talk about the undercard because you said you had a lady uh, female fighter on the undercard you wanted to discuss yeah I, I want to get to that in about 30 seconds sure, sure. something that I wanted okay. to point out about uh, Cejudo and that is that if you look at the current rankings for the flyweight division you see uh, Formiga is number one Joseph Benavides right. is number two Formiga, um, Cejudo beat him in the title fight eliminator before he took on DJ. I think it was uh, – that's who he fought. I'm going to look at uh, my notes here. Yeah, it was the UFC flyweight title eliminator. Um, this was back in 2015. And he beat Formiga by split decision, and he ended up ultimately facing 
DJ in which he lost. It was a first-round knockout by, uh, by knees and punches. DJ won that fight. His next fight, ironically, was against, um, was against Benavidez, and he lost that one as well. So with those rankings, the number one guy, he's got a victory over. Number two guy, um, he suffered his second loss to. And I'm, I'm wondering how he's going to yeah. you know, want to take on a challenger for that flyweight division if he's going to want to go to the number two guy um, and try and you know, run it back and get that, uh, that victory this time so he evens it up. You know, maybe that becomes a trilogy type deal if he can pull out the victory yeah. against Benavides or if he goes against Formiga and takes on the number one guy. But, you know, as you know, these rankings almost mean nothing. It's just um, fodder for uh, the fight fans to talk about because the way that Dana White and the rest of the UFC, you know, our management right. and uh, Shelby, the matchmaker, have been setting up these fights, they have them going with, uh, with the number one or number two guys anymore. It it was who is going to sell the most tickets and take on uh, the uh, the champion, and that you know. So I don't know yeah. how that's going to play out. Um, so the, the fight that I wanted to uh, to mention was um, this was on the uh, on the undercard. It was. Tatiana Suarez taking on Nina Ansaroff, and Suarez won that fight. It was a unanimous decision across the board. It was 29-28, um, a three-round victory in the women's strawweight division. Now, coming into that fight, I had seen her fight a couple of times, and she is very, very dominant um, as a wrestler, takes, takes that fight to the ground, and her size, um, as well as her – um, her her stamina and strength just overwhelms her opponents. But one thing that happened in this fight was that as that fight progressed, Ansaroff exposed Suarez and what I think is is a weak um, striking game for her. She is so dominant with her wrestling that she doesn't really need to showcase it, yeah. you could say. Her striking ability, and that's where uh, that's where Ronda Rousey was weak. Even though she had yeah. Uh, yeah. famously had that knockout against uh, Beth Correa, um, that all yeah. stemmed from some comments that uh, that Correa had made, um, and I think it was in reference to uh, a family member who had committed suicide, and and she had yeah. Um, it was very, it was a very inappropriate comment, and I think, in Beth's defense, she she kind of felt like she needed to to keep the conversation. It was almost like Ronda Rousey was so good at that point. And I'm not saying anybody put Beth up to saying that because it was an inappropriate comment. You obviously don't make that comment, but I think Beth more or less knew that I've got to get people talking about this fight because because Ronda was just steamrolling everybody, and she steamrolled her in like a minute. So. It almost just seemed like she was trying to create something. But, yes, I do agree with you. Rhonda. if you want to watch, if people want to see this, watch the second time Rhonda fought um, Misha Cupcake Kate. So she fought her the first time and broke her arm. But the second time she ended up uh, getting the arm bar again. But I believe it was the third round. And it, Misha lost. But in that fight, 
it's kind of what you're talking about tonight. In that fight, she and you can go back and watch it, she showed terrible striking. I mean, Nisha was this Chris striker and was just cracking um, Ronda, and Ronda was just kind of like walking forward with her hands out, and then she'd take her down and submitted her. But it really showed, uh, it showed a, a weakness, and I do think your comparison is correct. That And this goes for amazing strikers, amazing strikers, um, like a, a great example would be Nganu, right? Nganu, incredible striker. And I think you know where I'm going to go with this, right, buddy? Incredible striker. Faces Stipe Merochik, a guy I love, 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 love. Stipe had a great fight, right? And afterwards, I don't know if it was a joke. It seemed serious. And Ghana says we didn't, try, we didn't practice any wrestling. What? Like, what? But I think sometimes a dominant, dominant wrestler thinks, I don't need to worry about striking. And Nganu showed a dominant, dominant striker thinks I don't need to worry about wrestling. So what do you think she should do? Well, she, uh, she needs to work on that striking. I don't want to say it, it, it's – I would say it's the weakest part of her game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe there's, uh, there's some stamina – uh, that she, you know, she's got to build up her cardio a little bit. And, you know, this is, we're just, again, we're just talking uh, as fans. Yeah, yeah. We're not criticizing these fighters because these are world-class athletes who have very specialized skills and yeah. they, are, they are at the top of the top of the heap when it comes to what they do. And we enjoy watching them every minute. So we're just talking about things that, that we see We'd like to see different fighters improve on. And if, oh, yeah. she, if she continually takes down her opponents, un- unless somebody's got great uh, jiu-jitsu skills and has the ability to fight off a wrestler and flip that wrestler, because you know, you, you've heard right. the saying, um, how do you beat a wrestler and get him on his back? And, um, right. She, so, she, maybe sweep, so maybe if somebody has a really good guard and can sweep her, get taken down, can sweep her, but you'll you'll actually have seen in the UFC in the last probably three years, maybe five years, the the ability for people to get out of what is typically referred to as your guard is decreasing because people more and more on the top are getting smarter. There was a time where the Gracies in the beginning, he would pull guard. You You don't see that anymore because people are getting so much better. And so maybe she'll fight somebody who can, sweeper and, 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 you know, and use some really good or have a submission from a slick submission from the guard, maybe an omoplata, something that a wrestler doesn't usually see or train against, but, or a leg lock or, you know, a heel hook, something like that, which you've seen work with sometimes with people that are great wrestlers but not good at jiu-jitsu. But, yeah, I agree with you. It, it's, she, she's definitely going to need to work on her striking because the, the first time she faces somebody who has good, and they always said this about Jose Aldo, he had good wrestling in reverse. He had great hips to keep the fight standing. And, and, and maybe she'll fight somebody at some point that has great hips to keep the fight standing. And then what is she going to do? You know, so. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see. And, you know, she's got good coaches and they know where her strengths are and her weaknesses. And, and obviously they're going to go back and, and review that. And any good coach and any good fighter is going to, take a look at their uh, most recent fight, whether that's a win or a loss, and try and take away as much as you can out of that as a right. educational opportunity to get yourself better. And she is smart enough 
to to do that. I'd like to see that part of her f- fight game improve. She would she would end up so she fights at um, she fights at the the flyweight division or I'm sorry straw straw weight. So Andrade is yeah Andrade's the champion. She just beat Rose on that uh, that TKO slam 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 um, yeah. So that that division's kind of up in the air right now. I, I know that if, if Rose stays retired, because Rose was doing such a great job. I mean, Rose was really doing what she needed to do prior to the slam. So, but she seemed we we discussed this in a previous one. She seemed really emotionally okay with being finished. And Rose has been through a lot emotionally, and she's taking better care of herself. She kind of said she doesn't need the fight game. She's done a lot of anger issues because some of her childhood stuff. And she's kind of gone through, Rose has been very open. She's gone through a lot of therapy. She's made a lot of good changes in her life. And she just probably doesn't need the violence. Because remember, Rose's nickname is Thug. Like, Rose Rose really embraced the, I want to hurt you. Uh, but, I, but I think not, I mean, she did a great fight. I would like that rematch. But you're saying that the division is wide open because it's a young division. And it, it, it's not overly deep. And who do you have that can fight her? So you think she might go next against Andrade or one or two more fights? Yeah, I think, well, I think she's next because Rose, un- unless there's going to be an immediate rematch for Andrade and, uh, and Rose to go at it again, that, that obviously would be the next fight if Rose wants to do it. I don't know. I, I feel like she's maybe going to take some time away from uh, the yeah. octagon and sort things out because she did make a comment uh, alluding to uh, a big weight lifted off her shoulders with everything right. that came with being the champ and being on the top and having uh, a bullseye, you know, right on your forehead. Everybody's gunning for you. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, I don't want to say it's not a deep, Division because uh, JJ's in there, uh, Joanna Champion. Yeah, oh, that's right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and just behind her is uh, Gadela and um, Karate Hottie, Michelle Waterson. So there are some that could step up and um, and challenge for that, but they've got to move up and uh, and put themselves in that position. I think if if Rose wants to take some time away. Suarez is definitely the next one in line for that opportunity. So, um, but, uh, you know, time's going to tell. We'll see what's, uh, what's going to happen. So, um, coming up, though, with, uh, with the UFC, and we'll get into this talk later on, there is um, there's some big fights coming up. We've got two events that, uh, that are going to happen before this. Um, and what I'm alluding to is UFC 239. And that is Bones Jones taking on Thiago Santos. The uh, the fight that I am uh, most looking forward to on that card is actually Nunez taking on Holly Holm again. And yeah, you know I Holly's got to she's got to do something here. Um, you know, if, I I don't know where she's going to go after this if she can't pull out a victory on this because she's been at the top and then she's been close to the top several times. You know, I'd like to see some, uh, some success for her. And just as, as a teaser, this is one of the fights um, or this card 
is where I'm going to give my first lock. I'm not going to do it tonight, um, but that's going to be coming right. on, uh, on another podcast. Great. So, um, all right. Well, any- we want to, we want to, let's wrap up with this, Jim. Um, and yes, it seems a little self-aggrandizing, but Jim, if you could keep track, I know you're writing down, if you could keep track that you currently have one correct prediction, two wrong predictions for, for this card, and I had two correct predictions with one wrong prediction. We just want to kind of keep a running tally, and maybe in five to ten, um, predictions we want to see kind of which one of us has a better overall prediction i obviously i was slightly just slightly we were very close all our predictions the only difference between our predictions of note was that i picked uh ferguson and you picked Cerrone, and that ended up being the, 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 the difference but if you can keep track of that then the next time we do the predictions for 239 then we'll you know we'll keep going from there and we'll kind of see which one of us has maybe slightly better uh prediction or maybe we're both equally as good so yeah, I'm going to say that uh, I'll probably give the edge to you in that category. You've got um, a, a deep, deep um, level of experience in many facets of uh, combat sports. So I'm going to give you that edge, but I will gladly take oh, an underdog role in that. And, uh, there you go. You're the underdog. There yeah. it is. Hey, that works very well for the Philadelphia Eagles. So a couple years back in the Super Bowl. So get a dog mask. And start rocking it out. So I'm okay with let me, I'll, let, I'll meet you at the finish line, that's for sure. There it is. There it is. Well, I'm going to say our closing our closing, um, our closing, line is that's it, Fort Pitt, for us for tonight. Check us out in the future. We'll have more interviews, uh, pro, uh, local. We've got, the, um, we've got all the events coming up. We'll do some interviews. We'll also have our predictions. But that's it, Fort Pitt, for tonight.